I will be reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? I didn't mention to Jeff, and he may have mentioned this, and I missed it. But uh, at the one thirty service, Brother Byron Henbest will uh, be here, and he'll be telling us a little bit about uh, Potter Children's Home. We help support them, and so uh, if you can be back here at one thirty for sure, he would appreciate that, and he can update us on what's going on. It's been a couple of years since he's been here, two or three, maybe three, uh, maybe close to four. I'm not sure. It's been a while. But anyway, uh, he'll be here, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him. The whole purpose of Christ coming to earth and living in abject poverty was so that we might become rich, Second Corinthians 8, 9. He left heaven, not having a place to live himself on this earth, so that we might enjoy the special place that he has gone to prepare for us, John 14, 1 through 3. And then when Paul preached the unsearchable riches to the Gentiles, he did that so that they might be able to have all of those same things, Ephesians 3, verse 8. And if you remember, as we read through the biographical accounts of the life of Christ, he talked about uh, the treasures that we ought to be concerned with in this life. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not uh, break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And as we look through the uh, the accounts of of the Lord's life and the things that happened in his life, there were a lot of sad occasions that he had to deal with. We recall that uh, in uh, John chapter 11, he had learned uh, previously that his good friend Lazarus had died and he waited four days and then he went and he raised him from uh, uh, the grave and he came back to this life and to live in this world. And you can remember in John 11, or John uh, verse 11, uh, I believe it was verse 11, verse 20, where it talked about, and Jesus wept. That, of course, was the favorite verse for everyone that had to remember a verse. But that was a sad occasion. But you know, his friend had died and gone into eternity a child of God. He was a faithful Jew at that time. So that was a sad occasion. But there were a lot of sad occasions in the Lord's life that did not end as well as uh, as it did with Lazarus. And one of those occasions had to have been, as I look over it, to me at least, was his interaction with the rich young ruler. You recall that in Matthew 19, 
Verse 16, the, the, the young man came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And of course, Jesus answered his question. He instructed him to, to follow the commandments of Moses because that was God's law at that time. And, and he said, I've done that. I follow those. And I believe he probably was correct in stating that he was observing the law of Moses properly. Well, he followed up that instruction with this statement in verse 21. He said, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And that connects exactly with Matthew chapter 6, doesn't it? That connects exactly with the idea of taking hold of that great treasure that Jesus offered so that people might have eternal life. Is it possible for us to imagine a person refusing Christ and his riches. Well, it happens all the time. That young man did it. He refused the treasure that only Christ could give. And there are untold numbers of people throughout the world who do that on a daily basis who will never share in the riches of Christ because they fail to do the things that he's asked them to do. And there are going to be a lot of folks who are going to be surprised as they stand before him on that day. That great number will stand before Him and they will hear those words, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. Even though they will, in response to that, say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name and in Thy name have cast out devils and in Thy name done many wonderful works, Matthew 7, 22. They are going to be a part of that number that Paul, in our reading today, declared, Christ shall profit you nothing. The title of the sermon this morning is, For some, Christ's death will not matter. As we consider this passage before us, Christ's death will not matter to those who, one, return to the world. And we see that in verse 1, don't we? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That means they returned to the world. Peter had mentioned that in Second Peter 2 about being entangled. So that, that was the problem, and there was a problem in Galatia. Those Christians were in grave danger of losing their salvation by returning to the world, but they were returning to the world through the avenue of going back to a law that was no longer in existence. The old law had been done away with. It was gone. Christ had nailed it to the cross. He had uh, uh, allowed it to be fulfilled. It had run its course, and now it no longer stood as the authority. Of course, again, Paul's letter occasioned that very thing that was happening. Those folks were trying to go back, and they wanted to add to the gospel certain aspects of the old law. Now, what happens when you add something foreign to something that is pure? Well, it changes the whole makeup, doesn't it? It changes the whole makeup. They wanted to add some physical things because that was a, it was a spiritual law, but it had a whole lot of physical things they had to do, such as circumcision. And they wanted to add that circumcision to the gospel. Now, in reply to that, Paul demanded... Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, 
you're fallen from grace. And it wasn't the fact they were being circumcised that was the problem in and of itself. It was the fact that they were making that a spiritual law because that's what the Jews did. They wanted something you could observe with the eye, something physical. They wanted a mark upon themselves in some way that said they were the children of God. Well, that's not how it happens under the New Testament law. So, upholding the law of Moses as God's law today is not the only way one can fall from grace. Now, there are people in the world today who claim to be Jews and they claim to observe this law of Moses. Now, that's not possible today. That's not possible today. In A.D. 70, Titus marched into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. He destroyed the, the, the records of the genealogies. Now, no one today can even say whether or not they are Jewish. They can't trace their, their lineage because all those records were destroyed. No one can determine whether or not they were of the tribe of Levi or Judah or any other tribe. And if you're going to observe the law of Moses, you have to have a priest. You have to have a priest, you have to have a high priest, and you have other priests under them, and only Levites can be priests. So it's impossible today. And I think through the providence of God, that happened. And if we get over to Matthew 24, the first 35 verses of that chapter talks about that very event. And Jesus gives the signs of that coming event. And we can look back into secular history. Josephus in particular wrote of that event and not one Christian lost his or her life in that invasion. They left and they went to the mountains and they saved their lives. And now it's impossible to observe this old law. But at this time, at this time in the 60s, in the A.D. 60s, Paul wrote this letter and he said, don't go back to that old law. Because by doing that, you're returning to the world. A Christian can leave Christ for any number of reasons, though, right? I don't know of anyone who's left Christ to return to the old law of Moses, but I do know that there are denominations in the world who observe aspects of the old law. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists or any of the Sabbatarians, they observe those aspects of the old law. The Worldwide Church of God observes aspects of the old law, and I'm not naming them to, to denigrate them in some way. That's They'll tell you the same thing. They observe uh, what they call the Sabbath day, and, and they abstain from eating certain meats and things of that nature. And so they are trying to add Old Testament law into the New Testament, and they want to be Christians. And so that's not any different than what the Galatians were doing, right? We have to keep in mind, the only system which grants eternal life is the gospel system of faith. Obedience to that pattern set forth in the New Testament is the only way one can enjoy the riches of Christ. Let's look in Galatians chapter 1. Let's flip back a few chapters. Because Paul warned these same folks, he said, Galatians 1 beginning verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from, uh, from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed." 
Well, what was the perverted gospel they accepted? Well, just what we mentioned before. They were adding something to it. They were adding in circumcision. And that's not what Christ ever intended. Now, let me ask you something. Let's think about this for just a moment. Is that particular instance any different than someone taking the, the, the New Testament law today, the pattern of salvation or the pattern of worship or any of the patterns found within this gospel system of faith and adding something else into it? For example, the use of the instrument in worship. The Galatians were trying to add in circumcision. Change the whole thing. Paul called it another gospel. So when someone takes the gospel and we see the ways in which we are supposed to worship and they say, okay, let's do this a little differently. Let's add something or take something away. How much different is that than what we're reading about in Galatians chapter, really the whole, the whole letter? Well, it's not different, is it? It's exactly the same thing. And that's happening all over the world today. You see, there was a problem in Galatia because they were returning to the world through trying to observe the old law. But there was a problem because they did not understand the purpose of the old law. God had a very specific reason in mind when He delivered that law on Mount Sinai. It was never intended to be an eternal law. It was never intended to be able to give someone what they need to have eternal life. The law demonstrated to people how bad sin was, period. That was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law, uh, not just the Old Testament law, but even the patriarchal law was for the people to understand that death was the uh, result of sin. We see that in Romans 6, verse 23, don't we? For the wages of sin is death. We can go back to Genesis chapter 3, the very first sin recorded for us, and an animal had to die so the first couple could have clothes. God made them aprons and made them uh, 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 overclothes that covered their body because they had just simply made aprons out of fig leaves and that wasn't going to get it done. And so an animal had to die. So people had to understand some very important things. Only a blood sacrifice can deal with sin. Now, under the old law and under the patriarchal law, it didn't remove the sin. It simply moved it ahead. Particularly under the old law, on the Day of Atonement, they went out, they offered a sacrifice for the nation, they sent the, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, and it was as if it took the sins with them, and then they didn't have to address them till the following year on that same day. But they did have to do that. So we understand that the law of Moses could not take away sin. But it was very important. It was very important as a training method, as a school teacher, as a headmaster, the writer of Hebrews says. Notice what Paul said in Romans 7, verse 7. He said, what shall we say then? Is, is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law... For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He also said in Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We have to be able to understand the terribleness of sin. And that's what the old law did. That's what the old law did. They had to understand that something innocent, had to die 
to cover sin. Either the guilty person had to die as payment for sin or an innocent had to die to cover the sin for that person. That's why the animal sacrifices didn't didn't remove the sin. It was an innocent being. The animal did nothing, but it was just an animal. But when Christ came, and that's why the writer of Hebrews made the statement, Hebrews 10 verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. But then we go to Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 9. He tells us what does take away sin. He said, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is the Son speaking to the Father. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He died one time. No multiple sacrifices, no day of atonement every single year, and all the multitude of sacrifices that happened throughout the year of different kinds, not just blood sacrifices, but grain sacrifices, the wave offering, the wine offering, things of that nature. Again, it is no different today when groups misunderstand the purpose or simply ignore the purposes of God. Christ's purpose for giving himself to be murdered was so his blood could wash away, completely do away with the sins of this world to those who accepted that. And so when we look at his purpose and his plan, and when we see how people misunderstand it or how people ignore it, it is easy then to return back into the world if we're not careful. And that's not what Jesus wants. Christ's death will not matter to those who return to the world, neither will it matter to those who refuse to obey. We see that in verse 7, don't we? He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Many will not obey simply because they don't believe. Simply because they don't believe. But the problem is, most people do not want to believe. That's the issue, isn't it? Jesus warned, He said, Ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. John eight twenty four. Believing then must mean something, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an... That's an ongoing verb, a, a verb of continuous action. That means you can stop doing that and you can return to the world. Now, one might have initial belief or faith, but we have to maintain that belief and that faith as we continue on down. Those who will not believe in Jesus, His death will not matter. Just as those who, will, uh, who don't know Him. Those who don't know Him, those who who don't believe in Him, and those who will not bow before Him. See, that's very important, isn't it? Recall Paul's words to the Christians in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning with verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. See, it is paramount to our salvation to bow before God, to bow before Christ. I was speaking with a 
with a brother just the other day, and we got on this topic of uh, uh, the gospel and, and people who never heard the gospel. And he said, I just can't understand. I just don't believe they'll be lost. They can't. They never had an opportunity. And so I, I brought his attention to Second Thessalonians 1, beginning with verse 6. I said it... Jesus will descend with, a, with a, a sword of fire and flame and he's going to take vengeance on them that know not the gospel. Well, that's not something he wants to do and that's something that's sad. And those that obey not are those that do not bow before him. So if you've never heard the gospel, why would a person, why would a person be punished for that? Because it's our responsibility to learn the gospel. It's our responsibility to understand what God, or come to understand what God has in store for us. Paul quoted the words of Isaiah to the Romans. Romans 14, verse 11, he said, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. Now we have to understand exactly what he's talking about. He's not talking about some kind of universalism doctrine where when Christ returns, everyone's going to bow. Everyone's going to bow before him. Everyone's going to confess who he is because he will be here and we'll see him. But see, the Christian walks by faith, not by sight. So what he's talking about is on that last day when Christ returns to gather his people and to judge the lost, everyone is going to recognize him for who he is. But at that point, it's too late because they had not obeyed the pattern of salvation found in the New Testament. Uh, when we look in Romans 14, the very next verse, verse 12, he tells us what will happen at that point. As everyone is bowing and as everyone is confessing, he says that every one of us shall give account of himself. And so if we don't have a good account, that's just what it'll be. I was speaking with a close friend of mine just the other day, and he called me, and, and he was having some trouble out of one of his boys, and that's, I guess... Maybe the worst thing that can maybe happen to someone is for their children to uh, to have problems. And he'd been in jail for some things. And anyway, he said, well, I know that he told me he was saved. And I said, well, I called his name. I said, you know, here's the thing. I said, he's a young boy and there's always hope that he'll turn his life around, that he'll want to do the right thing. I said, but... I said, can anyone truly be saved who continually does the things that God doesn't want them to do? He said, oh, we all fall short of the glory of God. I said, no, we're not talking about sinning on occasion. We're talking about living in that lifestyle. I said, if a person lives in that lifestyle, I said, man, I said, uh, how saved can they be? And he recognized that. Of course, he's a, he's a member of a denomination. It's sad, but... We have to be willing to give an account of ourselves, be ready for that, right? There are going to be a multitude of reasons why many people will never bow before God. Uh, they may be like Pharaoh. You remember Pharaoh, when Moses stood before him, uh, he said, uh, God says, let my people go. And he said, in reply to that, Exodus 5 verse 2, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. He didn't know the Lord because he didn't want to know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord and he didn't want to obey the Lord because probably of his pride. But is that an excuse to say, I don't know who the Lord is? Who is this 
man, who is this individual that I ought to obey him? Well, we've already seen Paul's statement on that. You remember uh, Paul warned that the Lord would take vengeance upon those who don't know him and don't obey him? So we have to be careful with that. It's our obligation to learn that. Christ's death will not matter to those who return to the world. It will not matter to those who refuse to obey. But now there's another group I want us to notice. This is our our third and final point. Christ's death will not matter to those who will not repent. Paul said this, notice in our passage, verses 5 and 6. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. What brings about a person's desire to repent? We know that is godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. But what brings about godly sorrow? It's love for God, isn't it? It's a love and a a desire to make a recompense for hurting Him through sin. And our love for God is always what brings about godly sorrow. So again, what, what might be an excuse for some who refuse to repent? What might have been the problem in Galatia? Now let's keep in mind, Paul was fighting against these Judaizing teachers, these teachers who were trying to bring in parts of the old law to Judaize the law. And a lot of folks had an issue with pride. There were some pride problems going on, right? Pride's a terrible thing when it takes the wrong form. Let's recall the famous words of King Agrippa, Acts 26, 28. He told Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What do you think was standing in the way of Agrippa? He was standing before the other leaders of, uh, of Rome, the, 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 the true overseers of Judea. Do you think he had a little pressure on him to, to not give in to this, quote, troublemaker that was causing problems? I think he probably had a little pride. He was standing before those other people. Now, notice in the previous verse, Paul made the statement. He said, you believe the prophets? He said, I know you believe them. He was very well aware of, of the prophets. And so I think maybe pride could have prevented that from happening. What about Cain? We see the very first sin, and Cain offers a, a sacrifice. Abel offers a sacrifice, and Cain was rejected, and he became angry. And God asked him, he said, why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Genesis 4, 6 through 7. But what did Cain do? Cain did not have godly sorrow. Cain didn't have, have the love for God he should have had. He didn't, he wasn't led through those emotions and through the, that recognition of what was going on to repent. He simply got angry. And he went out into the field and he killed his own brother. What about Aaron's two sons, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu? They were prideful. How do we know they were prideful? Well, they offered strange fire before the Lord. Someone says, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. They were to burn incense and they were to get the coals from the altar. That came from God. And in their pride, they authorized themselves to get fire from some other location. I don't know where they got it. Some some campfire or some cooked fire or, or some other strange or different fire. Instead of going to the altar and getting that fire, they chose not to do that. 
And so we see their pride, and because of that, uh, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, fire came out from the Lord and devoured them. They were punished with death. Pride will keep one from repenting, but I want us to think of something else. Prejudice will, will keep a person from repenting. Now, when we think of prejudice, I think uh, probably our culture has uh, uh, embedded in us, and we're talking about some kind of a racial divide. We're not talking about race. We're talking about a prejudice for or against. It could be anything, right? Uh, it's hard to come to grips with anything that we've held on to for years and years and years, particularly when we're talking about something that is of a spiritual nature. We're talking about a person uh, who may have been a member of any particular denomination for years. And then they come to the understanding through a study of the Bible that that particular organization does not match up with what the New Testament pattern for salvation is. But they have been a part of that for so long that it is almost embedded in them and they are prejudiced against any other uh, system of faith. And they will not allow themselves to even consider that. And they'll do, they will convince themselves that what they are reading in the Bible is not the case. We, we go over to 1 Peter 3.21. One of my instructors, I may have mentioned this, he was door knocking one time, was telling us when we were in school in this area, they were having a meeting, he knocked on this gentleman's door, and, and they began to have a discussion, and it almost without fail, and this has been my experience, that uh, the discussion always seems to to move over to baptism as if that's the only thing that we believe in the church of Christ that is necessary for salvation. That is just one of the things that we believe that is necessary. At any rate, he began to talk about how baptism was not necessary. Baptism didn't save you. My instructor said, now wait a minute. Peter said, 1 Peter 3.21, speaking of baptism, which doth also now save us. He said, that's what the Bible says. That man took his Bible. He turned over to 1 Peter 3, 21, and he grabbed that page and he tore it from the Bible and he said, my Bible doesn't say that. He was so embedded with that particular denomination that he was prejudiced against the truth. See, that will cause one to not be able to repent, not be able to uh, uh, come to God in godly sorrow when one's been loyal so long, it's hard, to, it's hard to get away from that. I understand that, but we have to keep Christ's words in mind. He said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and that is the only institution to which we are to be loyal. Christ's death will not matter to those who will not repent, no matter the reason. No matter the reason. All the riches of Christ can be ours if we will accept them. That's all He asks us to do. But for that to happen, we have to obey His pattern of salvation. We have to honor His pattern of worship and His pattern of living life as a Christian. Faith in Christ as the Son of God, we talked about that, is the first step, John eight twenty four. Repentance brought about by godly sorrow, wanting to please God and sorry for not having pleased Him. Confession that He is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Acts 8, verse 37. That we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived, He died, He rose again, and He reigns over the kingdom at this very moment. Immersion in water, not more important, but just as important. And then, we have to be faithful. 
because we can return to the world and then Christ's death will not matter. If one falls away, like the Galatian brethren were in danger of doing, and, and some of them did, Paul's whole letter was to encourage them to repent of that sin, to confess that sin, and to ask God to forgive us. The same actions apply to us today, no matter what the sin is, if we've stepped out of the light and not living in the light any longer. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this day for any of those reasons, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.